writer to the Hebrews wants them to know that faith continues in spite of suffering. He doesn't want them to get the wrong idea that, that faith does all these miraculous achievements and if you're not doing that, you must not have faith. He wants them to know because this perfectly fits their situation that true faith continues in spite of suffering. When I hear of people who claim that Christians ought not to suffer and that if they are suffering, something is wrong with their faith, I can't help but wonder if that person has actually read the Bible. I especially wonder if they've ever read the 11th chapter of Hebrews. In the last part of the chapter, the writer makes it abundantly clear that suffering is sometimes part of the Christian life. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Hebrews chapter 11 is once again our topic today as pastor teacher Steve Kreloff leads us through this marvelous chronicle of the heroes of the faith. We've learned a lot so far, but there is much more as we near the end of the chapter. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries makes these messages available through this fine radio station as well as through our own website. I'll tell you about this website later. It's nearly time for class to begin. Today we launch into Pastor Steve's 10th message about the faith chapter, and in just a little bit, he'll be reading from Hebrews 11 verse 32. So if you have your Bible and would like to read along, that's where to turn first. Now here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. One day, while the pastor was making a hospital visit, he found a patient lying on, on her bed weeping. And when he asked her what the matter was, she handed him a book that she had received in the mail that day. And the book was about divine healing and about the power of faith. Some anonymous individual had sent it to her and written on the flyleaf, and I quote, read this book, it will give you faith to be healed. Now, the patient was a dedicated, committed Christian who trusted the Lord, even as she was enduring a great amount of suffering. But her anonymous friend thought that all people with faith should be delivered from their sufferings. But I want you to know that it doesn't work that way. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God can do anything that he chooses to do, and sometimes he chooses to bring about dramatic and miraculous deliverances, and sometimes he doesn't. There are times when, when Christians who have deep faith in God's word uh, just are not delivered. They suffer and they suffer and it never seems to end. They suffer deeply. There is no deliverance apparently for them in this life. There are some in the area, for example, of healings. Why is it that, that God sometimes heals someone? I'm not talking about faith healers and that kind of stuff. I'm talking about legitimate God doing a work of healing in someone's life. And there's another individual with the same deep commitment to Christ, maybe even deeper, who is not healed. And why is it that there are some who... Uh, some committed Christians who prosper in business and others who are honest and just as committed go into bankruptcy. There are numerous evidences for, for this in Scripture. You have, for example, Peter and James who were both put in prison. In the book of Acts, the first few chapters of Acts, they're placed in prison. Peter is miraculously delivered from prison. An angel comes and opens the prison. Remember, he goes to the home and says, it's me. And they, they, the young lady doesn't even open the door. She's so astonished. 
But James was beheaded. James had his head cut off. Why is that? Well, how about another example? In the book of Acts, you have the apostles who are let go by the Sanhedrin. They are let go. But yet, a few chapters later, you have Stephen, who is killed by the very Sanhedrin that let the apostles go a few chapters earlier. And then you have some, uh, some who were, were healed in the book of Acts, and yet you have the apostle Paul, who God used in miraculous ways, praying three times for the thorn in his flesh to be delivered. That's just the way it is. That's just reality. That's just reality. And I think the, the greatest proof of this truth, that not... Everyone who has faith in God is delivered is found in Hebrews chapter 11. So I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'd like to read verses 32 through 40. We've been going through Hebrews 11 for the last few weeks. In fact, this is about the 11th week dealing with this. And, and this passage sort of sums up everything and brings it together. And so while we looked at verses 32 through the middle of 35 last week, I want to read it in context. Verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But God has provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect." In these verses, we're told about two groups of people, in two groups in terms of their experiences. They, they all had faith, all these people, but the first group experienced miraculous deliverances. They defeated their enemies, basically. They put foreign armies to flight and so forth. But the second group did not defeat their enemies. Rather, they were defeated by their enemies, but they both had faith. What was the difference between these two groups? Was one group more spiritual than the other? Was one group uh, a group that had deep faith and the other didn't have faith? No, because look at verse 39. And all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised. The writer says all of these had faith. He's not making a distinction between their spirituality and their walk with God, but he is making a distinction between their experiences. They both had faith. The only difference between the first set of people and the second set of people was that in God's sovereign plan, and that's the key, God's sovereign plan, he brought deliverance to some people of faith, and in his sovereign plan, he didn't bring deliverance to other people who had an equal amount of faith. The key is God's sovereign plan. And we don't understand all about this, but that's what the Scripture teaches. Now, you might ask yourself, then why does the writer to the Hebrews include the suffering martyrs of faith in this chapter of faith? You might think, I thought this chapter was about victory in faith. No, it's not about victory in faith, per se. It's about faith. It's about faith. 
You see, the Hebrews, who this letter was written to, and that's why we call it Hebrews, they, these Jewish people in the first century were suffering for their faith. They were going through some deep, deep, hard problems. Chapter 10 speaks about it. They uh, Notice in chapter 10, I've said this many times, it says in verse 25, not forsaking your own assembly. I told you that is not uh, about uh, just going to church. It is about forsaking Christ because the context, notice the next verse, verse 26, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He's talking about there were some in that church who had actually abandoned Christ. They had apostatized. Why? Because the unbelieving Jewish community was putting such pressure on the believing uh, Jewish community, on those who had accepted Christ, that some who just had hung on to the church and really didn't, really didn't know the Lord personally, uh, it got too hot in the kitchen and they just left and really didn't know the Lord. And others were contemplating that. They were, they were persecuted. They were, they had pressure put on them. In chapter 10, he goes on to say, some of you has, have had your property seized from you. Others were thrown in prison. Others were made a public, um, mockery and, and ridicule of. And, and so that's what was going on. And so the writer wants them to know that faith continues in spite of suffering. He doesn't want them to get the wrong idea that, that faith does all these miraculous achievements, and if you're not doing that, you must not have faith. He wants them to know, because this perfectly uh, fits their situation, that true faith continues in faith in spite of suffering. Those who have faith remain true to the Lord. They do not abandon him. As one of the marks of those who really believe, faith in God uh, not only continues, but that same faith that, that brought you to salvation in Jesus Christ also sustains you. You need to understand that, that, that faith just begins at salvation, but it continues. It does not end. You, you cannot see, you must not see your Christian life as, oh, I accepted Jesus and that's it. No, it's just the beginning of a walk of faith. That's just the beginning of, of a walk of confidence in the Lord. And, and faith in God sustains you during suffering. We endure and persevere through faith. So what he's talking about in chapter 11 is that these uh, ancient people, these Hebrews, these ancestors of, of the first century Jewish Christians, they continued to trust God even when he didn't deliver them. Now, how does this apply to us? I want you to see your need before we actually get into this chapter. This is a very, very practical lesson for us because we need to learn about faith from this standpoint. Certainly we can and we do experience spiritual victory over the enemy of our souls. We went over this last week. We looked at Ephesians chapter 6 and how in, uh, in that chapter Paul says, hey, you have an adversary and he's relentless and you need to make sure that you, that you have the proper armor of, of God on to protect yourself when the enemy comes at you. And you can have victory. And that's right. And that's true. And that's correct. However, we also need to understand that physical deliverance doesn't always happen. We will have spiritual victory, but not necessarily physical victory. And the question is, what happens to our faith then? And this is where you need to protect yourself. For example, young man, young woman, married to each other, but one accepts Christ. And he or she is so excited about the faith, but the other spouse says, hey, if you're going to live for Jesus, I'm divorcing you. And this, this new believer says, well, I'm going to trust the Lord to work in your heart, and things are going to be changed. And you know what? It doesn't work that way. She or he ends up divorcing the other one. 
What about your faith then? What about your faith? Or you, you accept Christ and your family turns away from you. They, they don't want anything to do with you. What about your faith then? And you pray that God would change their hearts. Their hearts get harder. Or how about you're a young person and you are ridiculed for being a virgin and wanting to remain pure. And you know what? And you pray and you say, Lord, this hurts so much to be ridiculed like this. And I'm, I'm the laughing stock of, of the school and friends. And you know what? The pain doesn't go away. What about your faith then? They still laugh at you. Only they, they laugh more at you. Or how about you're an honest Christian businessman or a Christian businesswoman and your honesty costs you money. And you say, well, I'll trust the Lord. And it costs you lots of money. And God doesn't deliver you. Then what happens to your faith? How do you respond to God then? Do you imagine that he no longer loves you? That he's not interested in you anymore? Or that there's something wrong with you? There must be something wrong with you. Or worse yet, there must be something wrong with your faith. And so you need some kind of super-duper mystical experience. And you've got some relative or friend who says, well, you've, you've gotten half the gospel. Now you have to get the full gospel, and you need something else. Because obviously, if things were right with you, God wouldn't let you be like this. That's the danger. Or how about you just grow bitter, and you ask, where is God when I need him? And, and, or maybe you're not even honest like that, but you're deeply disappointed with the Lord. You really feel he's let you down. Only you don't want to tell anybody, because that'll look unspiritual. But in your heart, you're disappointed with God, and it holds you back from spiritual growth. That's why we need to understand the end of Hebrews chapter 11. How should we respond when deliverance does not come? You know how? The same way the Jewish faithful of old responded, we continue trusting the Lord even when we're suffering. So let's begin by looking at verse 35, because that is the theme of this. I've just told you the theme. Faith continues in suffering, and it trusts the Lord even when it's suffering. We looked last week at the truth that faith conquers over adverse uh, situations, but now we're looking at the truth that faith continues in suffering. It's a chapter on faith. We're going to learn, learn some marvelous truths this morning. Verse 35, let's look at the beginning of this, because this is sort of a, a transition verse in the middle, so I want you to see the beginning. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Now, that's a wonderful, wonderful physical deliverance they had. But here's the transition. And others, and others, were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now this verse is, is a verse of transition, as I said, because with this verse, the writer moves away from telling us about the dramatic accomplishments achieved by faith. And there have been many exciting stories and he moves now to the horrible suffering endured by some, some who had great faith, but they had suffering. He, now, he's still talking about the triumphs of faith. You don't want to lose sight of that. He's still talking about the triumphs of faith, but now he wants us to know about a different kind of triumph. The kind of triumph that is willing to endure the most barbaric and the, the cruelest of tortures and deaths while still trusting God. Now, the reason I wanted you to see 
all of verse 35 is that having just mentioned at the beginning of verse 35 about uh, some women who received uh, their their sons, he means their sons back from from the dead in, in, a res, in a type of resurrection. He said women receiving back their dead by resurrection. And he's probably referring to uh, the story of Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament and the two sons that they prayed for who uh, they received, their mothers received them back. But now the writer goes on to speak about a different kind of resurrection or a different type of experience in connection with the resurrection. He says, and others were tortured not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. So there's two types of resurrections here. Let's look at this. Some heroes of faith, he says, were tortured. They didn't put their enemies to flight. Instead, they were tortured for their faith by their enemies. It's very interesting that the uh, Greek noun that's related to the verb to torture means drum. In fact, we get our English word timpani from this. Timpani is a, is a drum. In ancient times, victims were stretched out on a drum-like or wheel-like rack. You can just picture that in your mind. They were stretched out, completely stretched out, and then as it whirled, they were beaten to death. Bones were crushed, and one by one, the limbs were, were broken and things like that as they were whirled around on this hideous instrument and just tortured and beaten to death. And this is the way that some of the ancient heroes of faith were treated. That's what the writer is saying. Like a timpani, they, they just were stretched out. You'd stretch that material on a drum, and then they were just whirled around and beaten. Some of the heroes of faith experienced that. But notice, notice, ver notice what this verse says, because they didn't have to suffer like this. They could have been released. It says that not accepting their release. That means, in other words, that they did not accept deliverance. What he means by this is that they could have had their freedom. They could have been set free and been delivered if they had only denied the Lord, if they had only apostatized, which means to depart from the faith. If they had simply denounced their faith, their enemies would have said, you can go, you're free. I'm not sure about this, but many believe, and it may very well be the case, that the writer to the Hebrews had in mind at this point, certain individuals who, while they're not written in the Bible, were Jewish faithful. It was the time between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. If you were here a few weeks ago, we covered in the evening service that intertestamental period uh, known best as the Maccabean period or the period of independence. There were 400 years uh, between Malachi closing and Matthew opening, or the New Testament era, I should say, and it was a time of which the Jewish people experienced incredible and inhumane treatment at the hands of the Syrians, just north of them. Actually, the Greeks who had taken over Syria, uh, led by a wicked king, Antiochus Epiphanes, and he wanted to turn the Jewish people into Gentile pagans. Greek pagans, and when they refused, he tortured them. And history has recorded several graphic instances of faithful Jews during that time period who accepted torture rather than deny their faith in God. One story is told of a Jewish priest or a Jewish scribe, I should say, by the name of Eliezer, who, when he was about 90 years old, was put on the rack this rack that I just told you about, and he was beaten to death because he refused to denounce his faith by eating the flesh of a pig. And you recall that a pig, in, in kosher terminology in the Old Testament, is an unclean animal, and this man refused to do that. But uh, 
But before his death, Eliezer expressed his faith and his refusal to denounce his faith and accept his release with these words, and I quote, It is clear to the Lord in his holy knowledge that though I might have been saved from death, I am enduring terrible sufferings in my body under this beating, but in my soul I am glad to suffer because the, uh, I am glad to suffer these things because I fear him. There's another gruesome story that comes from this, uh, this time period about seven brothers and their mother who was tortured to death, and the mother had to watch each of her sons have his tongue pulled out and his limbs cut off, and I'll spare you the rest of the details. But uh, these young men, as it was their turn to go, spoke of the, the hope of the resurrection, and they would not denounce their faith. They would not do that. Now, what gave them the courage to die for their faith? And more importantly, what can give us the courage if we are ever faced in, in a similar situation? Have you thought about that? What if you have to die for your faith? Well, verse 35 tells us this. Notice at the end it says, here's here's why they did not accept their release. In order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, what does that mean? The reason they were willing to die for their faith rather than accept their release was because they looked forward to a future resurrection. They wanted, the writer says, a better resurrection. And when you read that, you have to ask yourself, Better than what? Better than what? What kind of better resurrection? Well, this is why I wanted you to see the whole of verse 35. Because at the beginning of verse 35, he spoke about the women who received back their dead by resurrection. But the writer calls it a resurrection, but in pure theological terms, uh, that is not really a resurrection. That is simply That was simply a restoration to life, sort of like Lazarus had when Jesus called him back. It wasn't a resurrection in the truest sense of the, of the word. A resurrection, in the truest sense, means that you get a resurrected body. You don't die again. These boys died again. They, they just were, uh, uh, they were not given new bodies. They had the same old mortal bodies. They died again. And if the people, and here's what he's saying, if the people who were tortured for their faith had recanted and been set free, it would have been like a restoration to life, not a resurrection. They wanted something better than that. It would have been a reprieve from death. That was all it was, because they died. But they wanted a real and lasting resurrection, not a temporary postponement of death. That's what he's talking about. They longed for a resurrection that was better than the two mentioned in the beginning of verse 35. Now, what's the point of this? The point is that the only way to be willing to die for Jesus Christ and die for your faith is to focus on the future, not your present situation. To focus on the resurrection, to focus on your spiritual rewards, to focus on your inheritance in Christ. That's why at the end of chapter 10, the writer said that Jesus is coming again. You focus on that. Amen, Pastor Steve. It's been said that the only people who truly know how to live are the people who know how to die. They are the ones looking forward to the return of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life that He will bring to us. Well, our time is about up for today, but you can probably tell that there is a lot more to cover on this topic. Our teacher is Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He will continue this lesson on the heroes of the faith in our next class. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside for over 25 years. 
His clear, practical teaching has been made available to this radio audience through the efforts of Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry empowered by the prayers and funded by the gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their local church. We have been learning from Hebrews 11 for more than five weeks now. It's just amazing how much practical truth the author of Hebrews packed into this single chapter. Today was the beginning of Pastor Steve's 11th message from the faith chapter. We'll still spend two more days on this message about the heroes of the faith. If you would like to hear the entire sermon at one time, call us at 727-239-0306. You can order an audio CD or a cassette tape. Leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. To hear today's class again, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the program. We also have an archives page with many previous classes available there. To make sure you don't miss any classes, you may like to sign up for our free podcasting service. Once again, the web address is versebyverseradio.org. If you have never visited the website, you might like to explore it a little bit and learn a little more about Verse by Verse Ministries. We hope you can join us next time to hear some reasons why we might have to suffer for our faith. Hope to see you then.